right, Rob. I know that you said it would be a, just like a fun hangout day with your uncle that's an officer, you know, and the ride along would be cool. But, uh, you know, the gunfire is freaking me out now. And, you know, we did get to turn on the siren once and maybe run like one red light, but it's gotten out of hand here. Yeah, I, I, this, I didn't expect us to be ducked in the backseat of the cop car with bullets whizzing over our head and around us. And it's like, I'm really afraid that they're going to have some armor piercing rounds and, you know, we're going to get hit. How do we get in these situations, Rob? Why? What is with us? What is with us? I think we really do need adult supervision. At all times, Rob. Constant supervision. Oh, my goodness. Like, I really, like, I watched that movie Ride Along, and I thought it was cool. And it's like, hey, you know, I've got an uncle who's a cop. Why don't we do a ride along? But, yeah, this this, this was not a good idea, clearly. No, no. And these fake badges they gave us is not worth it. I don't even want it anymore. I yeah. don't even think cops are hot anymore. I'm I'm into firemen now. I've changed my mind. <laughs> oh no. Uh, uh, he's like emptied like how many rounds into that guy? What the guy should be down dead now and he just keeps firing back at everybody. What's up with that? Yeah, and he keeps getting skin clipped off his face and everything look looks kind of like we were we're dealing with a couple of terminators here. I know it's like Night of the Living Dead all over, but real. It's oh, freaking yeah. me out, Rob. It is. It's here. All right. Take this gun, fire off a couple of rounds. Maybe that'll give us a chance to escape. And if not, I, I've got a, another plan up my sleeve. I, okay. Like, I, okay, whatever. All right. So I just, oh my God, if I shoot anything, I, I, what if I shoot the wrong person? I'm going to go to jail. You fire the gun. Okay. Give me it. Here, take this. Uh, okay, did oh, you hit anything? I oh just my God. hit, oh man, I hit that squirrel. Yeah, I, this is not good. I went out of here, like here. right now. All right, take this grenade, throw it, and then we're going to run, okay? Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. Let's ah. go. Ah! There's definitely something very weird going on here. Detective Roger Mortis. Has a problem. He's dead. But Detective Bigelow is bringing him back alive. That's okay. Don't get up. Told you not to get up. Now, he's got 12 hours to solve the toughest murder case of his career. His own. Vegetarian. How do you fight this thing? Maybe we could drown it in A1 sauce. Treat Williams. Sit down. And Joe Piscopo are dead heat. You can't keep a good cop dead. All right, all you Midnight Mass Creature cast fans, judging from that trailer, we are going to be dealing with 1988's Dead Heat. I am Mark, and I'm always joined by the ever-awesome... Robert Mortis this week. <laughs> Robert Mortis. Now, did they do that to sound like rigor mortis, do you think? I really think they did, because it it just sounds too close, and it's like, you've got someone with the last name of Mortis, and their first name is Roger. It's like, 
how how much more obvious can you get? So then that like sent me down like kind of like the mental road of Doug Bigelow. Is it supposed to be like Doug below, like a the ground, like you're Doug below? I was I don't know. I maybe not. I was just did that hmm. hit you? No, it's um, okay. Yeah, I don't know. It, apparently, they just wanted something funny in dealing with the movie, maybe. Like, that's mm. my thinking of, because it's like yeah. you got a cop named Roger Mortis, and it's a movie about, like, dead people and coming back from the dead. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was just curious with the Doug Below thing. Yeah. Bigelow. Doug. Sorry. Doug Bigelow. Not Doug Below. Doug Bigelow. Okay, yeah, that anyways. just made me think of, like, Deuce Bigelow, male Jiggle. <laughs> <laughs> Which I oddly like that movie, but we won't go into that. <laughs> that's a huge bitch. Yeah. <laughs> my mom has been nothing but kind to you. All right. <laughs> so um, this one was your pick. So when did you first see it, Rob? Um, I think I saw this probably almost directly after it came out. I was an avid cable watcher and this, you know, showed up on cable. And this was another one of those films that I had the VHS player in to record directly off HBO when it came mm -hmm. on. Um, yeah. and this was a, this was a favorite. I think I wore the tape out watching this movie. Really? Oh, yeah. that's cool. Okay. I knew of the movie. I knew it existed, but I didn't see it till much later, but I did. I as well caught it on cable. Um, cause I love treat Williams. Like I'm a big treat Williams fan. Now, having said that, <laughs> There's I disliked I disliked Joe Piscopo greater than I liked Treat Williams. So that's what I think kept me away from watching it for so long. Now was it I, just in this movie or Joe Piscopo himself? I didn't like like his, I I just had an aversion to him as as a actor, I guess. Like I like you know cuz I like I liked Saturday Night Live and I just he I grated on my nerves. I'm sorry, Mr. Piscopo, because now he's big enough to like rip my head off. Um, <laughs> but I just, there was something about him. I just didn't really, he, he turned me off, I guess. Not like sexually, just like I, I, I didn't gel with him as an actor, I guess. Because um, I really didn't appreciate him on Saturday Night Live. And I think that he really was a big deterrent for me actually ever watching this movie. And then I eventually, you know, did see it. And I really liked the movie quite a bit, you know. I'm still not a Piscopo fan, but you know, I, I warm to the movie quite a bit because I, I do love me some treat Williams. I think treats amazing. <laughs> the only thing I see, I didn't even know Joe Piscopo was on SNL. Um, the only other movie that I had seen him in ever was um, Johnny dangerously. And then you know, knowing him from Johnny Dangerously, I was expecting that type of character in this movie, which of course didn't happen because, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, that I think those are the only Joe Piscopo films that I have seen. Oh, well, now the only, okay, as far as film goes with Joe Piscopo, he was in King Kong 70, 1976 and he was uncredited in that. So, I mean, I've seen that movie a bunch of times, but I'm not even sure I remember who he was in that. I probably had such a minor role in that one. That was, a, did you ever see that King Kong with uh, Jessica Lange and um, 
Oh, the Bridges, um, the cuter of the ones. I think it's Jeff Bridges. <laughs> I might have. That's the one with the stop motion uh, claymation photography type stuff. Uh, it's the Dino De Laurentiis one. It's not the old one. Oh, okay. I, th- I saw the old one then. Like okay. The yeah, that one's amazing too. Yeah. It's funny. The 76 one was not a big hit when it came out, but now people have like really warmed to it. Um, it's interesting how time does that with films. But anyway, yeah, he was in that. But now as far as Saturday Live goes, he was like almost like. Because Saturday Live was really big when it came out and then it had like a big like resurgence like in the 80s. And he was on it like for like 68 episodes from like 80 to 84. And he was on right when Eddie Murphy was, too. And they were like kind of like a like a a golden duo, if you would say, like they just the two of them, like really helped invigorate the series because it was floundering for a while. And then they came on. It was like really a big deal. Their talent like really boosted the ratings of that. That's anyway, interesting. That's- I can see Eddie Murphy like really blowing stuff up. But mm-hmm. Joe Piscopo never struck me as like that uh, comedian type. They played really well off each other. They okay. had a really good chemistry. And I think that worked well for the show. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So that I didn't mean to get into Joe Piscopo right away, but yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. But now he like really beefed up like, it, like the Joe Piscopo in this and the Saturday Live Joe Piscopo look totally different. Like as far as physiques go. Yeah, probably because I remember him the first time I saw was Johnny Dangerously and he was skinny, really skinny. <laughs> yeah. And then this one's like, well, who pulled your ripcord? Not in a bad way. It's just like he like. Walked up. Yeah. It's like he got trained by, uh, I forgot the the guy who plays the Hulk's name. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, Lou Ferrigno? Yeah, Lou Ferrigno. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he he really bulked up and he looks like a bodybuilder here. He did, yeah. And it was like overnight. I mean, it's not overnight, but it was like, I think because you just didn't see him. And then all of a sudden you saw him again. And he was like this. Yeah. So it was like very noticeable that his his physique had changed. Um, yeah. Anyway, so so yeah, that's my uh, that's my history with the movie. Um, are you okay if I kind of go into like just the director real quick and the the uh, makeup guy? Totally. The effects guy. Okay. So our director is Mark Goldblatt. Now the only thing that I have seen by this gentleman that I know is the now the Punisher, and that's the one from 1989 with Dolph Lundgren. Because okay. there's been yeah. many Punisher films, but it's the one with Dolph Lundgren playing the Punisher. Not the one with uh, Thomas Jane. No. Are you a Punisher fan? Are, I don't, oh, are big, you even in- big time Punisher okay. fan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like Dolph Lundgren. I don't know that in my mind, he's not who I would picture playing the Punisher. Does that make sense? Right. I don't see him as a Frank Castle type. Yeah, I just nothing against Dolph Lundgren because I, you know, I would certainly allow him to clean my house nude. But he's not the Punisher, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, I think yeah. I like the Thomas Jane one did more for me than uh, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. Yeah, I just, I think, I think in my mind, what they were probably doing with the casting is they're like, oh, he's a big muscle guy, so yeah. he could be the Punisher. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so that's the only thing the director of this film has done that I knew. So that's why I mentioned that now the makeup effects creator and designer is Steve Johnson. So Mr. Johnson has worked on Videodrome, 
the David Cronenberg film from 83. Uh, he also worked on Pet Cemetery 2 from 92 with Eddie Furlong. Did you ever see that one? Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, how, what were your feelings on Mr. Furlong? <laughs> or do you have any? Uh, I don't really have any feelings. I've seen him in a couple of movies, like, of course, Pet Cemetery 2. Um, damn the Terminator it. Well, one. Yeah, Terminator, but mm-hmm. also, <clears throat> um, I believe he was in the remake of Night of the Demons, the the two thousands oh, remake. Okay, I think you might be right on that. I be- I think you might be right on that. Okay, I think yeah, yeah. I, to me, and I don't mean to be mean, but he seemed like an you know because he was just kind of chosen for the Terminator one, and his career kind of. Took off after that, but he seemed like he kind of was an actor that got lucky. Hmm. Like, like if to me, if he hadn't gotten picked for the Terminator Two, I don't know if we would have ever heard from Eddie Furlong. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I can. Oh, yeah, he was in Night of the Demons from two thousand nine. Good okay. on me, I remember stuff. Yeah, you. All right, but yeah, I just nothing against him. I just don't. I don't know. I, he just kind of, I don't know. I, I don't know if we would have heard from him otherwise. Um, and then Mr. Johnson also worked on Here Come the Monsters from 95 and then Blade 2 from 2002. No way. Blade 2? Way. Okay. Wow. One of, one of my, well, actually, I like the first two Blade movies. The third one is kind of iffy, you know, but Ryan Reynolds kind of makes it all better because he's such an awesome dude. And that shower scene. Um, I didn't see the shower scene. What are you talking about? (laughs) You must have not watched the uh, Verhoeven cut that I had. Yeah, I didn't watch the Paul Um, Verhoeven cut. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. So I want to go back to something you talked about really quick. So you were talking about Mr. Furlong being in the Night of the Demons, uh, the remake. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, now Mr. Johnson worked on the original Night of the Demons from 1988. He did the makeup? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Cool. Now, we all know that Linnea Quigley was in that movie as well. That's right, with the lipstick. Mm-hmm. What we may not know, dear listeners, is that that's where she met Mr. Johnson, who later became her husband. Well, now. Mm-hmm. Now, Linnea Quigley, I must mention this really quickly, has an uncredited role in Dead Heat as the zombie go-go girl. There was a zombie go-go girl in there? Thank you. That was my reaction when I read this. I'm like, where was there a zombie go-go girl? Did it get cut from the film? Because I didn't even see that. I don't remember. I was hoping you would like enlighten me on that one because it's got her listed and there's her little picture. And, you know, and that's how I found all this out. But I, for the life of me, can't figure out where there was a zombie go-go girl. Yeah, because there wouldn't be enough there wouldn't be enough frames for that because from what I saw, it's like we went from here to there to the end, and there were very few places in between. And it's like there were no female zombies. And, and to me, if you're a go-go girl, it's gonna you'd have to be in that setting. So you'd have to be yeah. like in a bar. You know what I mean? Right. And yeah. there was was there was no bar scene, right? I not that I can remember. I bet you it's something that got cut. Oh, poor. That happens to Linnea a lot. 
I yeah. noticed that like a lot of times she'll do things and it's uncredited because it was like, you know, they filmed it and they were going to add it and it got cut or whatever. But anyway, she's credited as the zombie go-go girl. Or, That's you know, wild. I would yeah. love to see that scene. I'll have to look it up somewhere because it was not in the version of the movie that I saw. Yeah. But I thought that was sweet that the, the, the uh, makeups guy, Mr. Johnson, uh, they met on night of the demons and they were married for a while. That's pretty cool. And I remember hearing her talk about not realizing who it was, but hearing her talk about Mr. Johnson, about how like she was kind of smitten with him at like first sight and how he had to cast the, you know, she had to be topless for him to cast the mold of that whole lipstick scene from neither demons you're talking about and everything. And it, it was just kind of sweet to hear her talk about it. But anyway, okay. So now we're moving on. Oh, wait, one more thing about Linnea yeah. quickly. Um, yeah. Cause we love talking about her. This should be I the do love Linnea, Linnea Quigley podcast. But on the remake of Night of the Demons, she's credited as Ballerina Lady. Oh. So apparently she was in the remake. Okay. Which I'm not going to lie to anybody I've never seen. You haven't seen that? The remake? No, it's, I have not. It's really good. You you definitely have oh, to Oh, are you being serious? I See, I stayed away from it because I didn't know how it was going to be. So it's good. Oh, yeah. I in, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes. Okay. All right. Ooh, okay. So is it better than Terms of Endearment or not as good? <laughs> uh, it's about as good as an Officer and a Gentleman, you know? Oh, it's on my list then. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So um, since we gave so much time to Mr. Piscopo, just real quick, um, our other detective is Roger Mortis, played by Treat Williams, or God's Gift to Earth, as I like to call him. <laughs> um, I know him from Hair. It's a musical from 1979, which I love musicals, and he's in Hair. Um, hey, I and saw then he that. Was, you have? Yeah. Really? Oh, no, sorry. I saw Hairspray. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I got those two mixed up. <laughs> oh, you thought you could impress me, didn't you? <laughs> I, I try to every week. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's an A for effort, my friend. Um <laughs> And then he did another one, Night of the Sharks from 1988. And then another one that I know we both enjoy, Deep Rising with Femke Jensen from oh, uh, yeah. 1998. But yes. yeah, those are some uh, Treat Williams movies that I enjoy. And I had the unfortunate ability to get actors mixed up from an early age because I thought he was the guy from Remo Williams, The Adventure Continues. But that's Fred Ward. Oh, Fred Ward. Now, Fred Ward's from Tremors. Yeah. And but, Henry and June. Yeah. yeah. When I was younger, I got the two mixed up and I was like, oh, it's the guy from Remo Williams. But no, it's not. <laughs> to me. And I don't mean this in a bad way because it's not to me. Fred Ward is a little bit rougher looking. Yeah. He's got that stone face kind of look. Yeah. And treats kind of more of like a pretty boy in a way. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. All right. So those are our, our two detectives here. Yeah. The, um, the two main characters of the show. Two main characters of the show. So um, are you okay if we just kind of get into things? Yeah. Let's hop right into the, the pool car. that looks like milk. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But, you know, don't swallow any. And hope okay. our eyes don't uh, burn. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, all right. So, uh the movie opens. We've got our city shot. There's like a bird's eye view. And um, 
we have these two thugs basically donning masks, but they don't really cover their whole face. It stops at their nose, but the back covers mm. the back of their neck. It's kind of odd looking. Which I have dubbed the BDSM bandits. Yeah, or exactly. I, the, I don't know where you would find masks like that unless you know, Robbie. Uh, no, I have no idea. Maybe at a Renaissance fair because they do look like executioner masks in a way. Yeah, I thought that's what I thought. You know, instead of the BD, I thought they look like executioner masks. Exactly. Exactly. So basically what the two are doing is they're uh, going to attempt to pull off a jewelry heist in a jewelry store. So then we have... Um, Doug and Roger are two detectives and they're in this awesome red convertible and uh, the crime is taking place in Melrose place. Um, and the, the show Melrose they, place. Do what? The show Melrose place. Oh, I didn't, that, now that's <laughs> surprising for me. I didn't know you knew Melrose place. Did you watch Melrose place? No, but it was, it was advertised a lot. <laughs> so just really quickly. So on Melrose place, the it was like supposed to be like a office setting, but like Heather Locklear and everyone else dressed so unprofessionally that no one really should dress that way in the workplace. But the job I had at the time, all the women decided to start dressing like that. And they basically looked like kind of like professional, like sex workers. <laughs> and it was so weird. <laughs> See, judging was, from the commercials and, you know, all the advertisements that I had seen, I thought it was a show about this group of women who lived in an apartment building on Melrose and it was called Melrose oh, no. Place. No, you are right. It started that way and they the viewership wasn't there. Oh, OK. And then they brought in Heather Locklear and they focused more on uh, like a job setting so they could get more drama in there because the 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 apartment thing just wasn't doing it for anybody. And as soon as they did that, they could get more catty. And that's when they had people like, uh, like turning on each other at the workplace and stuff. And that's when the ratings like went through the roof. So you're oh, absolutely right. Okay. on Yeah. You are absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we, we de I definitely got us off track really. No, quick. no, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> So our two detectives uh, arrive and there's already uh, like SWAT teams and police officers there and surrounding the place as the two thugs come out and they're, they're already firing on them and everything. And Officer Mortis, which is um, Treat Williams, decides he's going to actually create like a not even a diversion. He actually is trying to figure out how to stop these guys because the bullets aren't really making a difference at all. They're shooting like rounds and rounds of, into these men and they're not falling down. Yeah. They're just uh, shrugging it off. And um, Bigelow talks about, he's like, maybe they're on PCP. And he's like, have you ever seen anybody on PCP or, you know, they're just talking about, it must be some kind of drug that they're taking, that they're able to <laughs> shrug off these bullets. Exactly. So uh, officer Mortis decides to borrow Lieutenant Herzog's car and he's going to drive by and like actually toss out this like little grenade. And then he ends up pinning one of them with the car. One of the thugs. Oh, now, but we forgot about the grenade one. 
Because so yeah, he throws a grenade. Uh yeah, he throws it. He hands him the grenade. Yeah, he hands um Bigelow the grenade. Bigelow throws the grenade and it blows up the the first guy. And then while Treat Williams is you know turning around in the car after he does the drive by shotgunning, he actually pins the second robber to um to another vehicle, I think. Mm -hmm. So the first guy was already blown to bits. And then the second guy is like sandwiched in between a couple of cars. Yes. And I don't know about you, but like the, the person sandwiched between the cars, it made me think of Halloween where they spoiler, where they actually like pin who they think is Michael Myers with the car and he falls down on the hood of the car. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Now, did, I'm just asking, did you want to talk about Lieutenant Herzog at all, or you, you just want to keep going? Uh, just that I remember him from another movie we did, and also he was uh, Woolsey in Stargate Atlantis and a little bit of Stargate SG-1. Yeah, I knew you'd want to say that. All right. Do you remember the actor's name? Uh, Robert Picardo. Thank you. Okay. I, I, yes. Now, what movie was he, he in that we talked about? Ooh, do you remember? That's a tough one. I Okay. We don't have to do that. Yeah. I just was wondering if you remembered. Okay. I'm try- I think it was one one we covered maybe a couple of months back. Okay. Um oh wait, no, he was in he was in The Howling. Oh, okay. 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 Yep. All right. Yeah, okay. okay. So yeah, that. we covered that a while ago. A while ago. Yes, exactly. All right. Now that makes me want to strip all my clothes off and start howling, <laughs> but I won't. I'll refrain from that till the uh, show's over. And he uh, actually so- had hair in that movie. I know. I know. Um, now we're at the captain's office and the captain isn't too pleased with, uh, what they had done back at the jewelry store. And he's kind of like, <laughs> he's like kind of like really reading them the, their rights basically and going over all the faults that they have. Yeah. Um, isn't that they, a trope of, uh, eighties movies? Cause you've got like Eddie Murphy in 48 hours and, um, the other ones where the captain is always yelling at, uh, yelling at the officers who, who do, who don't go by the book. And so it just play by the rules. Yeah. It just reminded me of like 48 hours and lethal weapon, that kind of stuff. Cause they're always getting chewed out by the police captain. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, I kind of think this movie kind of plays off that. Don't you think, did you get that feeling? It's like a buddy cop movie in a way, but then yeah, it feels like it makes fun of, well, not makes fun, but it kind of, uh, it, it does things in a very tongue in cheek way where it's like, Oh, a zombie movie. And then it's like a buddy cop comedy. Mm-hmm. So it's like it, a bunch of different things all stuffed together. Yeah. It like uses those tropes. Yeah. Of the, yeah. Um, so now they're, they're actually referring to these as the cash, cash and dash criminals. Um, because there's been six other robberies like this, like in banks and jewelry stores. Uh, and it's happening in like a nine block radius. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, Perps are different, but the crimes are kind of all the same. Um, they've always been heavily armed and they're working in pairs. And this is where Smithers uh, gets a call from the morgue. And just really quickly, if you don't mind me talking about Smithers, um, it's the mortician and it's Rebecca, or sometimes they refer to her as Becky Smithers. And it's Claire Kirkconnell. The only thing I remember this actress from is a TV movie from 1983. And <laughs> it was making of a male model. I rushed home to see this thing. I was so excited. I circled in the TV guide. I'm so excited <laughs> to see this thing. <laughs> um, um, and she, you probably have no recollection of this. <laughs> I No, I have zero recollection. 
Uh, she was uh, in one episode of Amazing Stories, which I did watch, but I don't okay. remember her at all. I, I think she did a couple of like one episode things. I remember that, but you, I, I really didn't write down many of those things, but I totally remember making of a male model. <laughs> oh, she was on the fall guy. She was on TJ hooker. She was on the yeah. A team. Okay. So yeah, she did uh one episode of the a team, one episode of TJ hooker, mm-hmm. one episode yeah. of the fall guy. And I was very much into those shows. Like I was definitely a kid who came home to watch like the fall guy, TJ hooker, especially the a team, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I don't remember her at all. That's weird because she speaks very highly of you. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. <laughs> that's too bad. Well, anyway, um, I actually like her character in this. I don't know how you feel about it, but I actually like her character. Um, she's basically stating that the corpse that they did bring in has already been through her, uh, like the lab before yeah he's got the y incision and everything yeah and you know the uh the um her superior dr nab um is saying that you know she's got to be wrong about this you know either she messed up or you know because corpses can't just get up and leave um so he's asking her to like to check back into this and figure out what's what's going on because that's not possible we also get the distinct feeling that at some point, um, Detective Mortis, Treat Williams, and the uh, mortician have had some kind of relationship at some point. I wonder what would give you that notion. That's just <laughs> kind of the way they're kind of playing off each other. Yeah, I know. Think? <laughs> yeah. Um, the way they talk to each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, real quick, Dr. McNabb um, is played by Darren McGavin. I must talk about Darren McGavin because he's amazing in my book. So in the 70s, there were two TV movies. Um, One was The Night Stalker and one was The Night Strangler. And he played a character called Carl Kolchak. Ooh, Kolchak the Night Stalker. Do you know this? I haven't seen it, but I remember it. Okay. Oh my God. And then these two movies spawned a TV show, just like you said, and that ran from 74 to 75 and had 20 episodes. Wait, is that the TV show with Telly Savalas? No, no. That one is, if you hadn't, uh, 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 is it Kolchak? Oh, what was it? Kojak, Kojak, Kojak. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm thinking of Kojak. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, no, not Telly Savalas. Even though he's done some really fun horror movies, not Telly Savalas. No, Um, this was Kolchak. Um, I'm drawing a blank on who started the X-Files. Chris Carter. Chris Carter has actually stated that Kolchak kind of influenced him into making the X-Files. It had that big of an impact on him. But I loved Kolchak the Night Stalker. Like, Fat Mark could not get enough of this stuff. Like, it was totally my thing it had werewolves it had vampires it had just like supernatural stuff like i live for that tv show so i love i love darren mcgavin from then i i just he's super cool wow i'm gonna have to check that out because i thought it was more like a true crime kind of thing where you know it's a it's a cop or an investigator who goes around solving murders i didn't know it had like a bunch of supernatural stuff in it 
he's a newspaper reporter. And basically, he figures out what's going on. But in the end, usually, he can't report it because it's just so unbelievable kind of thing. It's very good show. I mean, it's 70s. I don't know, you know, if it will turn you off. Because some people, like, if it's too far removed from when they were born, they can't get into it. You know what I mean? Because it's just so off-putting because it's so dated. But, like, I love the thing. I got my son hooked on it. Like, I love it so much. Well, you have um, definitely piqued my interest. And I I think I might like it because, hey, I got into Star Trek when it was like still in black and white, you know? Okay. And I'm so, telling you, I think it's amazing. I think it is amazing. What you might want to do, start with the, like, don't jump to the TV show. Start with Night Stalker, the movie. If you like that, do the Night Strangler. Okay. If you like that, then do the TV series. Okay. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay. And and that's for anybody else too that's interested. I really recommend doing the two movies and then do your series. Um, I love disaster movies. He was in Airport 77, which was released in 1977. Then later in the 90s, he did uh, Happy Hell Night and all those X-Files fans. Um, in 98 and 99, he did two episodes as Agent Arthur Dales. Um, and then, of course... He was the dad in Christmas Story, all those Bob Clark fans out there. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Right. Yep. That's Darren McGavin. But I love him so, so much. Um, Really quick. The other day, my son called me and he's like, have you heard of a show called Werewolf? Oh, no. It's coming back to haunt us. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, are you... Did you listen to the podcast? He's like, no. And I'm like, okay, because I thought he was like joking with me, but he found it. He's, he, I guess the first episode's more like a TV pilot, so it's longer. But he said it's not too bad. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so that's nothing to do with what we're talking about. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is par for the course here. Right. 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 Um. So now we are in Smithers' office, and um. Roger and Rebecca um, are kind of talking and she offers him coffee, but he says no. And then she's got that weird fake fish tank. Um, oh, yeah. Where he's tapping on the fish. And I'm like, yeah. why, why aren't the fish moving? <laughs> did you notice the edges looked like it was like frozen or something? It did. It look like ice cubes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really weird. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and this is where she mentions that the corpses have unusual skin tissue. And then they uh, mentioned the Dante uh, Institute of uh, of Pharmaceuticals, and they're using, uh, is it, I'm really bad with this, Sor, the drug. Yeah, I I didn't write the the name down because I couldn't pronounce it, but. They're using a drug. Yeah, they're They're using using some kind of a drug. Yeah, they're using a drug. Okay, so we're going to move from there. All right, so, um, so. Roger and Doug decide to go to the company and check it out. I like how they enter and the security guard is not paying them any attention because he's reading that penthouse. Right. <laughs> he's not really reading it. He's got the. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah, that's true. He's... I'm the only one who reads penthouse. <laughs> yeah, right. You read it for the stories. I do. Yes. <laughs> um, but so he calls down um, Randy James is a female. So it's R-A-N-D-I, Randy James to come down and kind of give him like a little, I guess, tour of the place. Um, and Randy is their uh, public relations officer, you know, mm-hmm. uh, person. Now, really quick, uh, Randy James is played by Lindsay Frost. 
The only thing I know her from, other than this, is she was in the Ring remake, the American version from 2002. She played Ruth. That's the only thing I know this actress from, other than this movie. I don't even remember her in the Ring American version. Mm, yeah, I lo- and I looked it up. That's how I know that she was in the Ring. Okay. Um, I believe I, if I'm not wrong, she's kind of like um, Claire, and in the fact that she did a lot of little TV parts too. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um. So she's kind of showing them all around and everything, and um, Roger kind of asks what they do with the drug, you know, what they use it for. And then she's saying, it's just like for everyday cosmetic items. And, um, you get the impression that Bigelow, he's kind of a, kind of a male chauvinist, kind of a flirt and everything, the way he's interacting with her. And, um, she's talking about how the, the, the products that they make are thoroughly tested and they're usually used as like antiseptic agents and skin ointments and things like that. Um, and then she's shown the photo of the corpse, but she doesn't recognize it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's where they kind of get that view of that. Like I've just put down like a euthanasia chamber. I so call like it death to, chamber. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Like it's basically if they have to put something to sleep that they've worked on, that's where they do it. Um, and then Bigelow uh, says that he's got to use the restroom, but really it's just a chance for him to separate from the other two. Yeah, he wants to go into that access denied room. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Because there's that room. Exactly. Just like you said. So um, once he enters it, he sees that like large machine and that like black tarp underneath it with something under there. Yeah. Didn't it look like he was inside of the TARDIS? Oh, from Doctor Who? Yeah, like the circular room and then that one like tubular thing in the middle of the room where it was like... Okay. Uh, I've got to like sit here for just a minute because I did not expect you to be a Doctor Who fan. But now that you said that, it makes sense because you're a big sci-fi guy. But I don't know why that took me aback. Yeah, it did very much look like a target. Yeah, it very much did. Yes, totally. Totally. Um, (laughs) I don't know why that took me aback. Yeah, because I think we talked about Doctor Who before and like our favorite uh, our favorite doctors. I don't think we did. Then who the hell did I talk to about that? I thought it was you. Well, anyway. Was it that big rabbit that you see sometimes, like Donnie Darko? No, it wasn't. It wasn't wasn't Franco. No. Okay. All right. Um, So anyway, so actually what's underneath there is a horribly deformed, grotesque looking like Hell's Angels biker. I wrote biker with two-faced biker. (laughs) Yeah, it's disgusting. It's horrifying. So they begin to get in a fight. Um, While they're fighting... We still have um, Detective Mortis and Miss James. They're talking, but then they start hearing the ruckus and the gunfire and everything. And now the fight has moved out of that chamber or you know room that they're not supposed to be in, kind of out into the hallway. And the biker's choking Bigelow, and Roger's trying to get him off, and then the biker turns on Roger. Yeah, and um, she, you know she doesn't seem terribly surprised that um that all of this is happening not at all <laughs> especially when the desk clerk gets in on it and he pulls out a gun and starts firing and she's like no not here or something yeah, like that exactly right well unfortunately during the the scuffle roger is actually sealed inside the euthanasia chamber or the death chamber as you called it 
And we see this like gloved hand just kind of come into focus and they push the button and the air can air decompression process begins to start. Mm -hmm. But on the outside, no one can hear him like banging on the soundproof glass. So Bigelow has no idea what's happening until it's too late. And the air has totally been taken from the room and treat is clinically dead. Yeah. And how did he dispatch the, the really large biker with two faces if those zombies can't be killed? That's what I want to know. Yeah. I think you should not be doing that here with this movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you need to stop that right now. Yeah. If you plan on enjoying this film. Because, uh, yeah. you know, one scene is like he's fighting for his life. And the next scene, the biker's laying on the floor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's exactly. Like, and, and we're uh, taking care of Treat Williams, who is pretty much dead. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I can't give you an answer, my friend. <laughs> yeah. That, that thing just like confused the hell out of me. I was like, wait a minute, these guys, you know, you can fill them full of bullets and whatever, and they just don't die. Mm-hmm, exactly. So the next thing we get, uh, Bigelow is just sitting in the lobby of the, the uh, pharmaceutical place where they, they, they've uh, met the biker guy and Smithers shows up and she has to see Roger um and then they take her to the chamber and she sees roger's body and she wants to know what happened and bigelow's like you wouldn't believe me if i told you and she's like try me so they're in the larger room now the one that you said looked like the the tardis from doctor who and smithers figures out the process and how to revive how how to revitalize new tissue and she likens it to a starfish growing new limbs Right, because she read like the notes on how the drug is used mm-hmm. and uh, the process for that machine to like create life once again. Exactly. Now, here's where I'm going to say this. I can't speak for you, but for me, there's not a lot of downtime in this movie. Like the movie is very fast paced, I feel. Oh, absolutely. There's zero downtime. I mean, this movie was over before I realized it was over. Yeah, they do a very good job of not messing around with a whole lot of like backstory or like, you know, how does this work? They're just like, Nope, I know how this works. Here we go. We're going to go from here kind of thing. And then, so Smithers starts the actual process of like bringing treat back to life. And we get the uh, (laughs) ever popular blue lightning that we've discussed before. Oh yes. They love that. They love the blue lightning. Now that you know about it, you're going to see it in everything. Um, And then Roger, he basically starts to like, almost like, sees on the on the big round table with the little plastic probe things poking up all over the place um right and i couldn't help but think of frankenstein it's alive that and for some reason those little when they use plastic clear things it reminds me of the fortress of solitude from superman and i always think of that whenever they use yes the the crystal stuff right yeah 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 thank you for knowing what i'm talking about (laughs) So anyway, uh, Roger's eyes open. He's alive. And they ask how he feels. And he says he feels terrific and incredible. Um, and he has no real memories of the actual incident. And. Yeah, he doesn't remember being trapped in that chamber. Mm-hmm. And, right, which right. is really yeah. strange. Yeah. And then McNabb pops in and he actually uh, says he thought that Roger was dead. And then Roger remembers blacking out and then rushing towards the light and then seeing his body laying there. 
And they tell him that Roger was basically, he was basically dead for an hour and he has no heartbeat. And then in big words, I wrote down that chest. And then my video froze for a while. <laughs> and you, you magically disappeared for about 20 Just a little bit. So. Yeah. But then this started back up just as quickly as it has disappeared or paused. <laughs> um, anyway, so um, <laughs> McNabb believes that Roger's faking the no heartbeat and he wants more tests and he heads off. Which yeah. I don't know how you would fake not having a heartbeat. But anyway. Right. And then he. Uh, what does he do? He somehow hits something and cuts his cuts his wrist and he's like, oh, I nicked an artery. How come I'm not gushing blood? Yeah, it's that weird, like copper, like sparkly like stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, weird. And he's super cold. Like his body temperature is very cold. And so, at this okay. point is when uh, Smithers reveals that he has basically 12 hours before he turns into a puddle of human goo, I wrote yep. down. Organic stew. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so he's got limited time to work with here. Right. And he basically, it's going to be his mission to find out whoever did this to him. And, and the they ground. are going to go in search of Rod and Bigelow are going to go in search of Randy James. Yeah, because she took off. She, she took gone. off. She booked it out of there, <laughs> which I would have, too. So uh, the two of them are driving around their convertible. And then Rod asks to stop at a drugstore and he needs to fix his face. So he's applying makeup while Bigelow is driving. And we get our first set of um, Bigelow using gay language to <laughs> go to Trent as he applies his makeup. Right. He's like, uh, what's it? Mulberry something. He's like, it really, yeah, it really yes. makes your eyes pop. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and so now they finally get to James place and um, she basically sees them and she's trying to escape, but they stop her doing that and they head back to her place to talk. And this is where she reveals that actually she's the public relations. I knew it from the movie, but this is when she actually reveals what her job technically is. Um, and Roger wants to find out who locked him in the chamber. And Bigelow begins to go through her luggage and finds that VHS tape. Oh, with Vincent Price on it. Yeah. Yay. In big capital letters, I put down, it's Vincent. Okay. <laughs> I demand that you humor me on this one because I love Vincent Price so much. Uh, I tell people that he was my first babysitter because I just remember watching him on TV nonstop as a child. Like if there was a Vincent Price movie, I was watching it. For people our uh, age, I mean, how could you not love Vincent Price? Oh my gosh, he's amazing. Um, so what I did, well, actually, first of all, he's like a philanthropist um, and his name is Arthur P. Loudermilk. Um, so what I did is, because I could just go on about his filmography, but what I did is I limited myself to one movie per decade that I think people should see of his work. So now, um, from the 40s, he did The House of the Seven Gables, and that was based on Nathaniel Hawthorne's work. Um, have you ever been to The House of the Seven Gables? No. Okay, because it's in Massachusetts. That's why I was wondering. It is? Okay, wow. I don't yeah. believe I have anyway. Yeah, it's pretty cool. All right. So that was 1940. In 1959, he did House on Haunted Hill. 1964, he did uh, The Mask of the Red Death, which was based on Edgar Allan Poe. 
And that's a Roger Corman one. 1971, he did The Incredible, The, Ado- the Abominable Dr. Fibes. Uh, 1973, he did House of Long Shadows. And in 1990, he did Edward Scissorhands. So those are movies that I think that you should see by Vincent Price from different decades. Okay. There are way more, but if you want to, if you want to just kind of dip your toe in Vincent Price's filmography, those are ones I recommend from different decades. So anyway, so he's on the tape and um, before they can really watch it though, there's like a sliding glass door to the, to her uh, house and they're just riddled with gunshots and these two big, reanimated goons break through and didn't they look like they belonged in uh day of the dead yes thank you totally totally i think it was well it was the makeup obviously but it was like the the milky eyes yeah and, it and just like, like definitely the makeup but the eyes mostly it was like okay yeah. these are these are zombies from day of the dead mm-hmm, exactly exactly well and i think for me what really drove that home is one of the one of the reanimated individuals was african-american that might have been it yeah well no and i know and i'm not joking or trying to be offensive or anything no but that that's what really struck it home for me that that look yeah anyway yeah so um the three go to try to escape out the side door to the patio uh where the pool is and i don't know about you but i would live at that pool like i loved the setup of the house Oh, that that wasn't that like three or four different pools in one. There was had like oh, a yeah. little jacuzzi there, and uh-huh. then something else, and then there was like oh, a waterfall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. That was pretty um, awesome. I would love. It to was a there. sweet setup. Yeah, it was great. Um, so basically, the two goons split up and start stalking our three uh, protagonists. So the jacuzzi, it's all bubbly, of course. Um, and that's actually going to help disguise uh, Roger, who's hiding in there. And then there's almost like a uh, like a closet where you would hi- uh, hide like your tools for cleaning the pool and stuff. And that's where Bigelow and James are hiding inside there. Yeah. And apparently you can fool the the really bad drug looking zombie. But you can't fool the tall black guy because he reaches into the wall and yanks out Bigelow. Yeah, he just punches through that little, well, it's that flimsy closet like in Halloween with the little like uh, vented slats. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's not going to, never hide, never choose (laughs) something like that as a hiding spot. Yeah, so he just punches through there and just grabs Bigelow right out. Right, he Um, had some amazing strength. I mean, he just. Oh, he sure did. He was a big guy. Yeah. He was a a big guy. The other one, I wouldn't find so intimidating. He reminded me of, uh, oh, what's his name? Oh my gosh, it's gone now. He looked oh, like was... the guy from Kids in the Hall. Oh, <laughs> to me, he looked like I, uh, the guy from Ghost World. Oh, what? Oh, oh, that's driving me crazy. Um, shoot, let me, oh, everybody's like screaming out there. Out where? Oh, outside of your house? No, no, all the people listening. Oh, <laughs> Steve Buscemi. He reminded me of Steve Buscemi. Really? Yeah. Okay, no. That's who, that's who he reminded me of. All Steve right, Buscemi. I'm looking up the cat. Okay, he reminded me of Kevin McDonald from Kids in the oh, Hall. Oh, yeah, I knew exactly who you meant when you okay. said that. Yeah. <laughs> but to me, he's Steve Buscemi. Anyway, yeah, so, um, so the larger of the two, he's the one 
kind of like harassing Bigelow. And the smaller one is the one who's kind of like harassing uh, Rod down in the jacuzzi. Right. Yeah. Uh, but so I love how uh, Bigelow impales him, the, the, the larger one. Yeah. I mean, that I was not expecting that. I got to tell you. Yeah. No, that was pretty cool. And then, and then with the, the digital bath, fried. I was like, holy cow. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, he and got then, fried in the jacuzzi. He's like, exactly. He, he <laughs> yeah. took, he took death to a whole new death. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then, so clearly someone wants James dead, but she's claiming she doesn't know anything. And, that, you know, she was just a, a guide, a tour guide there. So they've got her back inside and um, she's bemoaning her dead fish. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> she's like, everything dies on me. Right, right. <clears throat> but um, uh, Roger recognizes Arthur um, and he claims that he, he had died two weeks ago. Well, this is where James breaks the news that that was her father. Or was it? Or was it? Um, and then Roger, um, retells his story and, uh, about what happened and that he says that James has basically got to help out, you know, because she's the only person who can do it. Right. So, like she apparently has got some insider information there. Exactly. And she claims that Dante pharmaceuticals was basically her father's think tank. Um, and that she claims that the gentleman named Thule down in Chinatown receives some of the drugs and that's where they should probably go. And so then next, we cut to this awesome scene where Treat Williams is in the bathroom and he's not feeling so hot. And, uh, wow. he's looking for, I don't know, maybe medicine, but when he closes the thing, uh, he sees himself as a rotted corpse. Yeah, it's like a jump scare. Yeah. Except for me, I have shirtless treat is a treat for me. But then what about the corpse? <laughs> I didn't care about the corpse. I was too too happy about the shirtless treat scene. Okay. Yeah. Um now once okay, so they, they decide they've got to change his look. To me, what they put him in, he looked like an escapee from Miami Vice. What is it with those Hawaiian shirts? I don't know, but just like the blazer and everything, it was like pure Miami Vice to me. <laughs> and this is where it just gets to like that that kind of comedy from that era, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they take off in their convertible. And the next thing we see is like a dead chicken, like being decapitated by this giant butcher knife. Oh, yeah. We're, we're in mm -hmm. Chinatown now. Yes. So there's this giant behemoth of a cook. Uh, and he's basically dismembering this chicken. And this is where <laughs> Roger sits his like little like wallet with his badge down to show that he's an officer. And the guy just chops it in two. Yeah. <laughs> and this um, this guy is called Professor Toru Tanaka. Oh, the big guy. Yeah, he. Oh, OK. He died in 2000. So rest in peace to oh. him. But he's known for Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Dark Man, Last Action Hero, and The Running Man, mostly. Oh, wow. Thank you. I, okay, I didn't do this, John, at all. That's cool. 
Yeah. So I remember like in the eighties, I remember seeing him in a lot of movies where it's like they needed a, a hefty Asian guy to, Mm -hmm. to kind of look menacing and he definitely fit the bill. Ah, okay. Okay. All right. So, um, Mr. Thule kind of enters the picture and it's clear that he knows Miss James. Um, but before anything can really happen, Thule hits this like little hidden button and above there's like a, like a giant lantern and there's like the blue lightning comes down and then the chicken head and all of the other dead meat becomes like reanimated. Yeah. (laughs) In the restaurant setting, in the back room of a restaurant kind of. Uh, I put a Chinese food fight. Exactly. There's like a, like a giant pig carcass that attacks Bigelow and like there's chickens attacking James. Um, And what were those things? Were those like, uh, I don't know if they were rats or they were just uh, or possums or something, but they were definitely rodents just hanging up on the rack and they were just moving around. And then in the in the little buffet thing, there were chicken wings just writhing around inside there. <laughs> yeah. And well, and then, well, it's coming up, but the thing that grabs a hold of um, Roger's face, isn't it just like a liver? I thought so too. I was like, how the hell yeah. can a liver like know what a face looks like to attach it itself knew. onto? Yeah, it just knew. Um, but in the in this all this ruckus and chaos, the butcher actually just chops, which I hate this in movies, he just chops between Roger's fingers in his hand and just severed like drives this giant wedge between them, separating his hand, opening his hand, like separating right. it, which creeps me out. I hate that. Um, and then, um, (laughs) Bigelow shoots, uh, the butcher guy, but then this cow carcass pins, um, (laughs) Roger to the ground. I love how the, the cow carcass comes out of the, out of the meat locker. (laughs) We're just like, you're expecting some big dude to come out of there with like some nunchucks or something, but it's just a cow. (laughs) It's it's so weird and creepy and gross yeah uh, yeah so he's basically pinned underneath it and bigelow's got to pull it off with a meat hook and to make everything stop roger shoots that lantern and the source of the power that blue lightning just kind of ceases and all the things stop moving yeah so i guess um he had a faulty kind of mechanism because you know, when something gets reanimated after the lightning disappears, it stays animated. But according, you know, with this machine, when you shot it, you know, everything goes back to being dead. There you are with logic. Yeah, right. <laughs> there I am with logic again, <laughs> trying to apply logic to a film that is... I, I don't know why you're doing that, but you keep doing it. <laughs> I'm digging myself a hole. Exactly. Um, and then all of, during all of this ruckus, Thule, of course, has escaped. Uh, so while they're there, the two detectives decide to search for clues and, um, Bigelow discovers that little machine he's playing with where it reanimates a little duck head. Um, and then this is where Roger finds a paper with a bunch of dates and initials on it. Oh, and And, um, they are trying to figure out what do all these people have in common aside from being filthy rich. mm -hmm, Exactly. Exactly. So um, they're back in the convertible and they head over um, to uh, 
the library. Um, and also real quick, uh, um, uh, help me. I've drawn a blank. The woman, James, has stitched up uh, Rod's hand in the, in the uh, interim and they're headed to the library. Oh, and, yeah. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And the three are searching through the obituaries and they realize that a lot of wealthy people have apparently died recently. Um, uh, the initials, uh, one of them was like the inventor of the sweat to fit blue jeans, which I would totally rock those. Um, one was like a microchip wizard. The other one was a commodities broker. Um, and all of them were very wealthy. Um, Rod also notices the time on the clock. Uh, and he realizes his time is like basically running out. And that yeah, kind of freaks he, him out. And he kind of takes off from the group. And then I wrote slowest run ever. Right. <laughs> right. It's like if right. Joe Piscopo can't catch up to this guy, then he's clearly smoking a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> Exactly. I, as a teacher, sometimes you get kids and they like elope and I'm using little quotes. And when they like, they're not really running away from you when they do that. They really <laughs> want you to catch them. And just, they're just doing it for attention. But yeah, it reminded me of, a, of students eloping like that. Anyway. Um, and, you know, basically Rod's saying he can't live a lifetime in six hours. Um, and Bigelow was said, uh, gives him that little pep talk that you can't be a good cop if you're a dead cop and that way you can prove him wrong. Um, and then they lean in for the most awkward kiss like ever. There was no chemistry between those two men. Okay. Um, I did not see that part. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a dead heat, the broke back edition. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then, then the convertible and we got our three people back together. Really, it was just he was talking about it was just a very quick scene where Rod was talking about the population. I it's just kind of there real quick, and then we're back at the morgue. Oh, yeah, where <clears throat> something about like if you were to bring the entirety of everybody who died back to life, um, there would still be that many people on, on the planet. I don't know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did not really delve into it. Because now we're back at the morgue with Smithers, and I really like Smithers. Oh, um, did you? Could you feel the tension between the two exactly, ladies? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, and then um, she. This is where uh, Becky, the mortician, she asked Treat to open his shirt, and I put down "thank you." Except I don't his think skin was, really was his all chest. melty. Ugh. Yeah, it was not his chest. It was a fake chest. So um, <laughs> she starts taking his vitals, and you know his temperature is getting uh, rapidly. Body tempers is rapidly decreasing, and she's saying that decom decom decomposition that was hard to say is progressing very quickly, and he's only got about three hours left. But she thinks that she can extend the process. Um, but Rod's not having any of that, he wants to go, uh, and he wants to find uh, Lauder Milk's grave. But Smithers says she's not going to give up hope, and now the two or the three, I believe, are in the parking lot. And that's where we have McNabb pull up. And we notice on his car, the license plate says it's a custom plate and it says body doc. Right. And I wrote that. I wrote that down and I bolded it out because I was like, <laughs> that's going to be important. I bet. Exactly. So this is where they split up. We've got Rod and James heading off in the convertible and Bigelow heads off in on his own. So it's nighttime now at the cemetery and the convertible pulls up and our two people, um, Rod and James, uh, Roger and James, they exit. <clears throat> and um, 
Rod notices the shooting star up in the sky, uh, but they have no key to the uh, lock, so he just shoots the the mausoleum door uh, lock off. And this is where Dad's resting place comfortably. Um, But then we get the big reveal that James really is not his daughter. What happened is that she met him in drug rehab. Or so she says. Or so she says. Um, and then for some reason, there's this big elaborate like table setting there, and <laughs> which I thought was odd. But Rod turns on Roger turns on the lamp, and inside the lampshade, there's a series of numbers like written that you would see once you turn the light on. I honestly thought it was either red sharpie or lipstick. <laughs> right, was that uh, what was it? Uh, mulberry, <laughs> yeah, mulberry wine. I don't know exactly, exactly. It was the perfect shade, yeah. uh, yeah. Now, in my mind, I thought it was a lock code. Well, that's what I thought the numbers were immediately. I thought they were a code for locks. I thought it was um, a phone number. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's just, 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 yeah, where, where our minds went anyway. So, um now we are once again back at uh, Randy's house. Um, it's dark. The TV's on, and there's uh, no Bigelow. But the TV show, uh, the TV show freaks James out, and she backs into Doug, who is tied up and drowned upside down in the tiniest fish tank ever. And I don't know how they got that big man's body into the fish tank. <laughs> no, it's very weird. Um, so we see James and she's, I guess, so upset that she had to take a shower and she's drying off after the shower. Yeah. Why? It's logic again. I know, but it's just, I don't get it. Like why is she showering? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just to get to this scene. Like, because really there's no real reason for it. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. There really is no real reason for it. No. None whatsoever, other than to get to this scene. Yeah, just uh, they could have had a a tender moment without her taking a shower. I mean, Uh, come on. uh, Yeah. Well, could they have? Because he's dead. That would have been like, uh, what's it called? Necrophilia. Necrophilia. (laughs) Well, technically, as we come to find out, well, I won't reveal it it just yet. (laughs) You're right. Exactly. You're right. So anyway, so what she's kind of like sitting uh, like by the side of the tub and she's got her towel wrapped around her. And then she starts telling Roger that she's sorry that she didn't want to tell you that she had lied about the drugs in the hospital because she was dying, too, and that they had brought her back to have a normal life as long as she helped uh, promise to help them. And then we see that her hand is kind of decaying. And then her yeah, and it starts- decays super fast. Super fast. And then her face is start, starting to like slag off on the side. Oh, and then her, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then her, her arm drops off and then her face like starts to smolder. Yeah. Like and she's she, smoking. She just turns into human stew. Yeah, exactly. And then she starts to decompress and she's like, please forgive me. And then we get like a boob shot, but it's creepy. It's not the kind of boob shot you want. No, not at all. Well, most people, you know, there's that one person out there, but we don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Um, And then so, you know, Roger's all disgusting. He backs down the hallway. Um, And then so he's in the living room and he gives Smithers a call, but he just gets her voicemail. And so he leaves a message um, telling her that basically Doug and and, um, Randy are dead. But the phone gives him an idea. 
and he starts transferring the numbers coinciding to the letters. Yep, and he, he starts, realizes, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, he starts decoding like what, what mm-hmm. that series of numbers meant, and it translates to body doc. Mm-hmm, exactly. And he realizes, hey, they're talking about McNabb. Mm-hmm. All right, so Roger's not looking so hot at this point, and now he's headed to the morgue. So we see McNabb is in his office and he's combing like a toupee (laughs) in a weird way. This reminded me of dead and buried. Yes. I was going to bring that up to you. I'm like, we've got a a mortician who's Mm -hmm. like really into like death and resurrection and stuff. And mm-hmm. it did remind me of Dead and Buried, except with like in Dead and Buried, there wasn't really lots of decomposition and stuff. Yeah, no, but just the just this face off spoiler reminded me of Dead and Buried. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to hate us. All right. OK, so we get a bunch of exposition and then we're you know, we get the whole thing about body doc being the license and numbers to letters um, and. Then he fires and accuses McNabb of killing uh, the wealthy um, people. And then we realize that um, he goes to fire point blank, but is stopped by two goons and Thule who have come into the room. Yeah. Two dead goons, actually. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. They're 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 They are not with the living anymore. They're reanimated. Uh, and he's knocked out by the butt of a gun. And if you're dead, how can you be knocked out by the See, more more logic coming into play here. It's just like, it, there's some stuff that does not add up. I guess if you're the living dead, you're reanimated to a degree that what would happen to a living person would happen to you, maybe? Mm. Does that make sense? Mm, not really, because I mean, okay. if you can absorb bullets like a sponge absorbs water. Well, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So not okay. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. Okay. Stop it. <laughs> stop I'm it. ruining it for you. <laughs> you are. Stop all that logic. Just throw that out the window. Stop logicking. Right. Exactly. Yeah, you're totally right. Okay. Anyway, here we go. Okay. So the bad guys escort Roger to an ambulance and lock him uh, to the side rail. And it's revealed that poor Smithers' uh, body is next to him on a gurney. Um, And that made me sad because I really liked her. Yeah, I thought she was cool. I know. I really liked her. So the ambulance. Okay, now let me ask you this. This has nothing to do with anything. Are you more of a Randy fan or more of a Smithers fan? Definitely. Definitely a Smithers fan. Okay, I thought so. Okay. Um, And... um, you know, uh, McNabb is going on that the uh, ambulance is stainless steel and soundproof. In about 45 minutes, it's going to incinerate. But Roger devises a plan and he puts the van into gear. But Ooh, to yeah. do so, he's got to like reach it with his foot. Oh. But in doing so, go ahead. He, oh man, this was, this was really, I don't know, it bothered me. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's not like it was super gory, but it just like, the skin peeling off of the inside of his hand as the cuff is just, you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to add some give. It's and very repugnant. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh man, I don't need to see that. 
Because it like slid up. Yes. And I thought yeah, he was going to pull his whole arm off, actually. Pretty disgusting. Um, so that causes, you know, by releasing the brake, it causes the ambulance to careen into another vehicle and it goes flying down the street and it starts causing chaos with a bunch of different cars. Eventually it flips and it bursts into flames. So another ambulance arrives, and then we see that they have got uh, Roger in a body bag, and it's smoldering, and then the body bag begins to unzip. (laughs) And then when he popped out, I mean, in my mind, there was just a freeze frame second there, and like uh, a movie trailer came into play where it was like, zombie cop, this time, it's personal. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And he asked a officer that's there um he reveals his badge and he asks the officer to give him his gun and he steals the officer's motorcycle and takes off (laughs) and he's got half of his face melted and oh yeah he's not in good shape now just in my mind it reminded me of sammy carr from trick-or-treat yes Okay. Okay. See, I was going to bring that up to you as well because I was get, definitely getting some Sammy Kerr vibes there. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Because great minds think alike, my horror friend. Yes. All right. So now we're back at the lab, and McNabb uh, introduces Arthur Laudermilk, who is not dead. And um, actually, they say they found a volunteer to be buried in his grave. Yeah. And yeah. Did you and get so, the sorry, oh, I didn't mean to No, interrupt. no, go, go. Don't you dare. Did don't you, you get dare the apologize. vibe? Okay. How all those people were, you know, around the circular area mm-hmm. there. What did you get like Legion of Doom vibes, but with really <laughs> old people? Yes, exactly. Anytime <laughs> you have people like that in a circular thing, it is Legion of Doom. It totally is Legion of Doom. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is intercut with um <laughs> this is intercut with Roger on his motorcycle. And then we have Arthur is pitching a plan to the wealthy. Um, and then we have the night security kind of like not really paying attention to the monitors because, um, well, okay, before I get there, now the audience is very skeptical of what McNabb and, and uh, Laudermilk is pitching. They're really not buying into any of this. right? Um, and they're saying like the rich should live forever. Uh, it's only going to cost you half your fortune, but if you live forever, you can easily make that back. But then <laughs> we see Roger on the motorcycle and it hits this chain, which just propels him through the glass doors, <laughs> which I thought was very funny. Right. Because he used himself as kind of like a kamikaze pilot. <laughs> exactly. It was very odd. I thought there were many other ways to get in the building besides that. It just struck me as very funny. So he exchanges gunfire with the security guard. And then we've got uh, Arthur going through um, like a very giving a very like graphic demonstration and there's more gunfire. And then in the lab, we have McNabb. He's getting ready to start the process. Well, then, while he's doing this, there's more gunfire gunfire right outside the lab. And then Rogers um, hit, um, puts, like, the uh, one of the men into the death chamber. 
And he throws a grenade in there and then shuts it. Right. I thought he was just going to decompress the guy like he got decompressed. (laughs) Instead, you got uh, like an explosion in there. Exactly. Now, Roger is actually broken into the meeting and he's like, he's like, that's okay. Don't get up. And fool like fires. And then Roger fires and all this carnage starts breaking out. And then the goons fire uh, and then they get electrocuted. And you see, like, Arthur trying to, like, slink away, like, to safety. Yeah, but he's, it's like he wants to leave, but yet he doesn't want to leave. <laughs> right. He wants to watch it. Yeah. Well, I, he's you like, know what? I, get him. Okay. And then let me hide mm-hmm. in my corner. And then he's, he's kill him now. You know, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. I think he's worried about the machine. Yeah. I didn't get that at first, but I think you're right. He's probably, yeah. he cares more about that than he cares about like anything else. He's worried about that investment. Exactly. Right. Um, but really Roger is focused on McNabb being killed. Like he wants McNabb dead. Yes. He wants body doc and that's it. Mm-hmm, right. Uh, and then there's a big reveal that under the tarp is Bigelow. Dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's brain dead. Kill this guy, would you? Exactly. And so Bigelow is turning on his partner, Rod. Roger. I keep writing. I said Rod. You're thinking of Rod. Rod. Paper. <laughs> yeah. Ro- yeah. <laughs> um, and then Roger's trying to jog his memory with gay speak. Um, (laughs) because it's really the lipstick that brought him out of his brain death exactly um so then doug drops him and then uh what does roger say hi doug welcome to zombie land yeah (laughs) which i thought was great because i mean pretty much the premise of the film you know exactly exactly well now the two of them turn on mcnab uh, and he begins to fire on both men. And then, which I kind of did not see this coming the first time, he just takes his own life. He, yeah. he puts a gun in his mouth and kills himself. And like Treat Williams was having none of that. He's like, oh, oh no, you're not no. getting away that easy. Exactly. <laughs> so again, Arthur's watching all of this go down. Um, and then uh, Roger decides to re- resurrect McNabb and he puts him on the machine and he basically just explodes. Yeah. Oh, cause he's like, Hey, um, did you ever see a guy get resurrected twice? Let's see mm-hmm. what happens. And then for that, I just thought of like something being overcooked in a microwave and just exploding or hell, even like the, uh, Jeff Goldblum's teleportation chambers in the fly where, mm-hmm. you know, shit gets turned inside out. Exactly. And then, so Arthur begins begging the two of them to save the machine. Um, the two of them don't care. They open fire on it because like Arthur's like, Hey, I can make you a deal. There's no reason for you to die. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And then the two, our two cops, our two detectives, they start exchanging uh, jabs at each other as they exit into a thick fog. Um, and then, um, what's, uh, uh, Bigelow says that he wants to be reincarnated as a seat on a girl's bike. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Uh, and then, um, what does a Roger say? This is the end of a, this is the end of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. And we get a God awful ending song. 
Yeah, you really hate those things, but I thought this was uh-huh. more appropriate than that like heavy metal stuff that was playing because this is like it's a dead heat. Yeah. Well, I just thought it was so cheesy. Oh my gosh, Rob. I was like, oh help me. Well, the whole um, movie was cheesy. Yeah, yes, but fun cheesy, and then there's that song. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's fun cheesy, and then there's that song cheesy. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, no. So I'm going to ask you first because it was your pick. What do you think of the movie, my friend? Loved it then. Still love it now. Mm -hmm. And would you recommend it? Oh, definitely. I mean, I I don't think there's one I really wouldn't recommend except maybe Ghoulies. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If I recommended that to the wrong person, they'd never talk to me again. It would sever a friendship. Yes. Yeah, uh, but no, I would recommend this. I mean, it's got plenty of action. Again, it's kind of like the uh, a goofier version of Predator, where you've got action, you've got horror, you've got monsters. Um, this pretty much has it all, and I was I was into all of that in the eighties, where it was like I needed action, I needed like monsters, um, and just like messed up shit happening. <laughs> so. Yeah, I definitely would. I mean, if you're looking for all that, this will definitely tick off your list. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a ton of fun. I wholeheartedly recommend it. I have no reservations with this one. It, it's just, like I said, like earlier when we were talking, it's like a buddy cop movie mixed with a horror movie. Um, the characters are, it's almost not in a bad way, but it's like, they're cartoony enough. You know what I mean? That it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, the effects are great. I, th- I think they still hold up. Oh, they um, do. It's like pr- just enough practical effects and it's like everything oh, yeah. is there. Yeah. They're practical. Um, they're impressive. I think it's like a treat that you get like the horror people you get, you get Vincent Price, you get Darren McGavin. Um, I love Treat Williams. Uh, I think that's fun to see them all in the same movie. Um, it's just fun. It's it's uh, it's got a good blend, I think, of comedy and horror. Um, this one's probably a little bit more comedy mm-hmm. uh, than horror. You know, what I mean, but not in a bad way. It's just you're gonna find yourself with more of the uh, not slapsticky, but like more just of the the more humorous bent with horror as the subject matter. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like house two. Um, yes. Where yes, you've got, yes. you've got more of the, it's still horror based, but you've got a lot of goofiness going on. Exactly. Very well stated. Yes, exactly. But it's so much fun. Um, like we said before, it flies by. It's got the runtime isn't even 90 minutes. It's like 84 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it, I just, it's just like it hits the ground running and it does not stop until it's over. I think it's uh, I mean, there are plot holes like we were talking about, but it's it's competently written. Um, I, I, I still say the effects hold up really well. It's well cast, uh, uh, well casted. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I anyway. think so. Yeah, uh, I just think it's a lot of fun. I would have no problem recommending this to anybody at all. It's a good time. It's for one of those. It's a. Uh, I think a movie, if you're hanging out with friends and you're like, hey, let's watch something really fun, you know, that probably will make us laugh. And, you know, we don't have to think about too much, but not in a bad way. Um, It's just like I really like the way that things were written like this. And 
That's why I'm so much in love with like 80s and early 90s movies, because a lot of them were just, even though they were stupid as hell, they were written so good that you kind of overlooked all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's a good litmus test if you're dating someone and they get excited by corpse boobs. (laughs) (laughs) Then, you know, to watch out for that necrophilia. Yeah, then you just go. You're like, hey, we need to stop seeing each other. Uh, it's it's not you. It's No, wait, it's not me. It's you. It's, it's definitely so you. you. <laughs> yeah, it's so you and your fascination with corpse boobs. <laughs> so, yeah, no. So uh, I I am glad you picked this one. I thought it was a lot. I like a lot of fun. I love this one. Well, you know, I had to make up for uh, last week's ghoulies and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> ghoulies is ghoulies and you just kind of have to accept it and you just you either love it or you leave it alone <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's no virus but it's still <laughs> yeah it's no virus but you know you just you you got to know what you're getting into with ghoulies mm-hmm. uh now as far as our next uh movie we're going to be tackling warlock Wishmaster. No, I'm joking. Oh, don't you dare. No, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> I, I got to mess with you now since, you know. Yeah, no, but, it's, it yeah, is we're, Warlock. <laughs> Adrian Sands in Warlock. In Warlock. Uh-huh. That will be our next one. Now, if you would like to reach us, I am always available at Instagram. And our numbers are growing over there. And I really do appreciate you guys very much for for that. So thank you for the support. That means a lot to us. That's truly it's, awesome. I love yeah, to hear that. Yeah. It's nice to know that someone is listening to what we are putting out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not hating it. They're, they're, well, I won't say loving it, but they're liking it at least. They're tolerating. Yeah, they're tolerating. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, if you want to um, send us an email, let us know, like give us your movie recommendations or just reach out to both of us. It's mmccpod at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And thank you so much for joining us because as far as we are concerned, the more the scarier. That's right. And until next time, we hope that you stay spooky. Spooky.